and literally we saw that it was a raccoon we both looked at each other and we both ran we ran and we ran fast we were like oh my gosh the fact that we were that close to a raccoon we were just like wildin'. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Oh My Allergies podcast. This is your hostess with the mostest, Valencia. And if you are new here, the Oh My Allergies podcast is a podcast about all things allergies. Whether you have food allergies, seasonal allergies, skin allergies, or even your pet has allergies, Oh My Allergies is a safe space for discussions for those that need a bit of advice and support from someone who understands their struggle. Let's learn how to navigate life and learn how to thrive with our allergies together. Hey guys, what's up? Oh my allergies fam. Welcome to or welcome back to the podcast. Happy Tuesday guys since episodes go up on Tuesdays. If you're new, I am Valencia. Very nice to meet you. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, Audible, Castbox, pretty much any place and any platform you can listen to podcasts on. Also, stop, drop, roll, and rate the podcast. Hopefully, your rating is five stars. And also, leave the show a review because it really helps with growing our community, reaching new ears, and reaching new people. Also, follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at ohmyallergies. Follow me on Instagram. Mine is at ohmyvalencia. And keep on sharing the podcast with people you know or people you may not even know. Maybe people you might come across in your day-to-day, you know, that you might just see passing and you might hear them talking about allergies and just be like, hey, have you heard of Oh My Allergies? You should definitely give it a listen. But in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about swimmer's itch, which is also known as circarial dermatitis. Because I figured since it's the summer and a lot of people tend to swim in big bodies of water like lakes, oceans, ponds, things like that. If you've ever swam in fresh water or even salt water and you've gotten a skin rash, it may not even be related to salt or even chlorine. It could actually be something else. So stay tuned to learn more. But before we get into today's episode, you guys know I got to tell you guys what's been going on with me. So what's been going on with me? Well, this is something that I actually forgot to talk about in last week's What's Been Going On update, but softball came back. I was on Instagram and came across this thing called the World Games, which apparently is a big deal. And it's kind of in a way like a stepping stone for the Olympics. The World Games includes both sports in the Olympics and sports that are typically not included in the Olympics. Like I saw some really interesting sports like life saving, like being like a lifeguard and having that be an actual track and a discipline within these games. I also saw karate that typically aren't included in the Olympic Games. So it was really interesting seeing what other disciplines are considered sports in other different countries because countries from all around the globe came and played in Alabama. I believe these games took place and softball was one of the disciplines that was taking place at these games and I was really excited and typically the world games happen a year after the most recent summer Olympics I believe. Don't quote me on that but like I said USA softball played and they actually won the gold medal for softball and I was so happy because it was really great to see softball 
softball on my TV again because usually when it comes to softball, um, after the Women's College World Series goes off, usually it's kind of a little bit more of downtime. And then there are some summer series that happen for some of the professional leagues for women's softball. But sometimes they're televised, sometimes they're not. Sometimes you might have to go to some particular website and then it kind of gets in the back of your mind and you kind of forget about it. But was really happy to see this game and see these series of games because I was able to see some of my favorite softball players like Janae Jefferson, Megan Farimo, Charlotte Eccles, people like that. And there were actually multiple games, which was really cool. But what sucked was that the first few games were actually not televised. And softball Twitter was not happy about that one bit. So the last like two or three games were actually televised. So that was really good. And speaking of sports, kind of changing gears here, um, I've been watching the Atlanta United games and I kind of use the term watching lightly because they've not really been doing so hot. There's been a lot of different changes. I think more recently, the president of Atlanta United is going to be going to be the president and like CEO of Newcastle. So he's like leaving in like the beginning of August. So there's a lot of like changes that are happening. And they've just not been really doing that great. So I've just kind of been not really watching watching them but just having the games on like in the background while like I'm doing something else which is kind of bad but to be honest that's like the honest truth but that is pretty much what's been going on with me been really on a sports kick and have been trying to find other things to watch while I am waiting for my dear softball to come back into season but with that being said let's get right into my foodie likes One of the foodie likes I want to talk to you guys this week about, it comes from the brand Cucina Antica, and it's their marinara sauce. Their ingredients are so clean, and they're so easy to pronounce. Like, all the things you would think you would need for a tomato sauce are literally the only things in it. There's not any sugar in it or any other fillers or anything like that. Like, this is the good stuff. Highly recommend using it for when you're making pizza, when you're making pasta dishes. I also like the fact that it's relatively low in salt in comparison to so many other tomato sauces and marinara sauces out there. Like, my goodness, like I think in this particular marinara sauce, I think there might be like 280 something um, milligrams of sodium where... I was at the grocery store and was looking at a lot of different tomato sauces and oh my gosh, I saw one tomato sauce that literally went up into having 500 milligrams of sodium per serving. And when you're using tomato sauce, you're using a lot, whether it's for pizza or whether it's for some type of pasta dish, like you're using a good amount. So it's like that amount of sodium is going into your body and your body's probably like crying like oh my gosh like why are you doing this to me so highly recommend this tomato sauce because it's just nice and pure and it tastes really authentic and it's just so good um the other foodie like I want to talk to you guys about comes from the brand Lundberg. It's their rice cakes that are salt free. I really like the fact that they're made from whole grain brown rice instead of like white rice because I know brown rice is supposed to be a little bit more healthier for you even though rice on the whole grand scheme of things is not really all that healthy. 
But I use them as a base for my sunflower seed butter and have like sunflower seed butter rice cakes. Love that they are salt free so that you can really relish and taste the toppings on the rice cake rather than really just tasting most of the salt from the rice cake. Really just like the plainness of it. Also, they are organic. They're non-GMO. They're certified gluten-free for all my gluten-free gals and guys out there. And they're also vegan. So highly recommend trying those if you just want to have some sort of a base for your different toppings. So whether you put um, sunflower seed butter on it, whether you put avocado on top of them with like smoked salmon to have like a little like breakfast toast situation. So highly recommend because you can just do so much with these rice cakes. But those are my foodie likes for this week, guys. So with that being said, let's go right into this week's allergy news article. So the title of this article is I'm an allergist and there is really no such thing as allergy season anymore. So this doctor, the doctor's name is Dr. Ogden, says, quote, the exact culprit of allergens has to do with the seasons in which plants bloom and release allergenic pollen particles or which ones create optimal environments for mold and other allergen growth. However, in the article, this doctor notes that due to things going on with the climate, allergy seasons are really starting earlier and they're lasting longer and they're making their way from one season to the next season to the next season, really without missing a beat. And so because of that, it's resulting in a year-round allergy. So typically people would experience allergies during like the spring or during the fall or even sometimes during the summer, but those symptoms are starting to stretch into the winter for some people. And so a quote from the doctor, uh, the doctor is saying, many allergy sufferers continue to experience symptoms due to indoor allergens that tend to peak in the winter as we spend more time indoors around, you know, dust mites, mold, and animal dander. This can create a lack of seasonality and just the year-round allergy experience. And to be completely honest, I actually agree with this. I've been hearing from whether that's like family, friends, and others within the allergy community that their seasonal allergies have been like hitting them harder than ever before. And because of these allergy symptoms not really stopping as we enter these new seasons, it feels like more so year-round allergies and not the seasonal allergies that we've been told all of our life. It's crazy that since it's been a lot warmer in general, that warmer temperatures are actually leading to more pollen in the air. And so that's most likely why it feels like we as allergy people are not really like catching a break. And it's almost like if this continues, those of us with environmental allergies will most likely go through this transition from seasonal allergies to having perennial allergies, which are allergies that occur year round, like this doctor was saying. So I think this article is really, really interesting. If you want to learn more about what seasonal allergies are, definitely we've done some episodes on it. So we'll link some of those episodes in our show notes. Also, we'll link this article in our show notes so you all can read this article in its full entirety because they definitely don't cover every single inch of this article, just the things that kind of could spark some conversation and some debate. But with that being said, those are the 
allergy news highlights that I want to bring to you all this week. So with that being said, let's get right into the meat of this episode, which is what is swimmer's itch? What is circarial dermatitis? Like I say in these types of episodes, I'm not a doctor. Um, I'm not a medical professional, nor do I claim to be either of those things. These are just things that I know from personal experience and research that I've done, and I encourage you all to do research on your own as well. So I know when you all heard that I'm going to be talking about swimmer's itch, also known as circarial dermatitis, you were like, what is that? I have never heard of it. Can you explain like what this is? I'm like very, 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 very confused. So if you are a part of that percent that is not too familiar with swimmer's itch, also known as circarial dermatitis, I will explain, friends. I will explain. So swimmer's itch, circarial dermatitis is pretty much a temporary itchy skin rash that's not contagious, thank goodness, that you can get if you have swum in fresh or salt water that is invested with a certain type of parasite. And that parasite is commonly found in fresh water like lakes or ponds or even salt water like oceans and so the parasite larvae is connected to swimmer's itch and it's known as the cause of what we know as sakari so this parasite can be found in lakes in pretty much every state in the u.s it is also found in lakes in canada and also in over 30 other countries and in the u.s usually michigan and other great lakes region states are the most involved when it comes to Uh, what different lakes and ponds are more apt to have swimmer's itch within them. So the parasite larvae originates from infected birds that live near the water. So we're talking about ducks, we're talking about geese, we're also talking about gulls, which first, before doing research for this episode, I thought that that was a nickname for seagulls, but apparently seagulls and gulls are not the same and the difference between the two is that seagulls are found near let's guess the sea and gulls can be found near the sea and also inland and then another thing that's different is that gulls are smaller than seagulls and they are white with black wings and seagulls are usually either white or gray with black wings so major fun facts for you guys but back to subject at hand swimmer's itch So the parasite larvae can also originate from other different animals like beavers, muskrats, and even raccoons, which I'm not even surprised about the whole idea of raccoons because I feel like raccoons are just kind of known as those animals that just carry a lot of diseases, sadly. Like that's kind of what I grew up knowing is that if you see a raccoon, you kind of just stay away from it because it carries just so many diseases. And it's kind of sad when you really think about it, but at least that's kind of how I grew up, just kind of knowing that tidbit of information. But speaking of raccoons, I actually have a little mini story time about the last time I had actually come across with a raccoon for the very first time in my life. So me and one of my friends, we were taking a walk and we were walking and it was at night, which is not the best thing, but at least there was two of us. But anyway, we were walking and we saw something and there was lights around us. So then we were like, what the heck is that? And literally we saw that it was a raccoon. We both looked at each other and we both ran. 
we ran and we ran fast we were like oh my gosh the fact that we were that close to a raccoon we were just like wildin'. we were just wild out okay like we went crazy and so we ended up having to call um security because we were kind of like in this like area that's like near like a, like a walkway like in like a i guess like in a park ish type of situation and so we ended up calling security and like letting them know that there is like a um animal that is on the loose that's a wild animal um just so that people are just alerted that on that path that there is a live well moving around raccoon so that is my little story time of a raccoon and I was like wow I cannot believe that I was that close like I was super close to the raccoon it was crazy I wish I could do a better explanation of how close I was but just know I was very close to the raccoon and I literally had a jump out of body experience when I realized it but the parasites they lay eggs and the infected animals is blood and then the eggs are passed through the animal and into the infected animal's poop which is so gross but if those eggs get into the water then they hatch they release these tiny microscopic larvae and then these larvae swim around in the water and they're looking for a certain species of snail and if they come in contact with the snail the larvae will multiply and then infected snails release a different kind of larvae which is known as the cercari which is why swimmer's itch is called cercarial dermatitis and so this type of larvae then swims to the surface of the water and is looking for certain birds or mammals to be able to continue the cycle now, even though the larvae cannot survive in a person's body, they can dig themselves into a person's skin and then trigger an allergic reaction that can cause an itchy rash, which is known as swimmer's itch. And so the larvae, they soon die after they dig into a person's skin, but that itching and the rash from that allergic reaction can actually last for several days. So that's kind of the little tidbit, the little spiel on what actually swimmer's itch is. So when it comes to common symptoms for cercarial dermatitis, there are actually a few. So one of the main ones is that itchy skin rash. So it looks like a rash with reddish bumps or pimples. It may also cause like you to have like small blisters on the skin that burn and that itch and that can form a rash. Um, also tingling, burny or itchy skin um, or like I said, those small reddish pimples or bumps that also form a rash. And so swimmer's itch can only appear on skin that has had contact with the infested water. And so when it comes to the actual reaction that's attached to sacarial dermatitis, usually based on research that I did, it begins within two hours of swimming within a freshwater or saltwater body of water. Even though in saltwater, it's kind of less common, it's more common if you're in like a lake or like a pond, bodies of water like that. But the rash only occurs on the areas of your body that's been exposed to the lake water. So it's very common to get a rash on your legs since your legs are exposed typically when you're in some type of body of water. And so the first symptom that typically occurs is the itching or the burning of the skin. And then the small red spots start to appear within like one or two hours. And then the spots appear at sites where a parasite has actually like gotten into your skin. 
and then those spots turn into small red lumps over one or two days and then the spots start to become itchy for up to seven days and then that rash gradually starts to fade over the next two weeks. But each time your body is exposed to the infested water, the more intense your reaction will be. And that's really that whole process is called sensitization. So after your first contact, the onset of your itching and the rash will take like one to two weeks. But for repeat contact, that onset of that itching and that rash usually will happen within like two hours. And so like the more that you're exposed, the faster the rash will occur. And also it causes that rash and like that itching sensation that you get to just become much more sincere. So when it comes to how is swimmer's itch diagnosed, when it comes to how swimmer's itch is diagnosed, there's not currently any test to really diagnose swimmer's itch. So it can be really difficult to diagnose it because of rashes looking like other skin conditions and other rashes like poison ivy. But it's really important to remember that swimmer's itch is not the only rash that you can develop from swimming in fresh water or salt water. So that's something to really keep in mind. Like just don't think like, oh, like I went to a lake. This has to be swimmer's itch because there's so many other different skin conditions and rashes that you can get from being in fresh water or even salt water. And I know when I did my allergy testing and one of the things that I got tested for was for salt water. And it was so funny because they usually have that within the allergy test. And it's one of the first things that they put onto your skin if you're doing like the um, like the skin test of it. And for me, like they say they usually do that so to be able to make sure that your skin is like in a reactive state so that you haven't had like any like antihistamines or anything like that that's going to prevent you from being able to have a reaction that is a part of the testing process and so I had it where they put the salt water on me and they said for most people usually people don't get some sort of a reaction for salt water but there are some people who do and I am one of the people who did get a reaction to salt water and me and my mother were like very surprised we were like what that is so crazy. It's so crazy. But yeah, people can get reactions to salt water, whether it's due to allergies, skin irritation, what have you. Now, I know one thing that I started to think about was once the water is infected with swimmer's itch, whether the water will always be infested and figured that other people probably would wonder this as well, because to be honest, it's such a valid question and such a valid concern. So based on research, it seems like the answer is no, the water won't always be infested. And one of the main reasons is because a lot of factors really contribute to swimmers itch becoming a problem in fresh or salt water. Since certain birds or certain mammals and snails all need to be present for Operation Swimmer's Itch to actually happen. But since these factors can change, Swimmer's Itch may not permanently be a problem at a swimming place that has been infested with parasites. But there is sadly no way to know how long the water may be infested or unsafe. But I will say that I saw that larvae generally survives for 24 hours once they are released from the snail. However, an infected snail will continue to produce that Sercare throughout the remainder of its life. So for future snails to become infected 
um, those migratory birds or mammals in the area have to be also infected so that life cycle continues to just be safe. Just always look for some sort of like signage or a post or something like that that really just warns of possible swimmers itch contamination before you just jump in and swim in like fresh water or salt water. But based on some other research that I did, I wondered if you could actually get swimmers itch from being in a swim pool because swimmers itch usually people more so swim in a swim pool. It's kind of just like a natural thought. But based on research, yes, it is as long as your swimming pool is well-maintained and is chlorinated, there isn't any risk of swimmer's itch. And that's because, like I kind of said for the other question, the right snails, meaning infected snails, have to be present in order for swimmer's itch to happen in general. Now, since swimmer's itch is the result of an allergic reaction, there isn't anything that you can do to actually get rid of the rash itself. Your body will eventually heal itself based on research that I did, and that rash will just fade away. There's not a prescribed or a formal type of treatment based on research that I did usually just goes away within like a week but you can try a few things to be able to see if you can get some sort of relief and like help with like the itching and everything so one thing that I found that would be really helpful is applying a corticoid steroid to the affected area um, always just for all rashes um, applying a cool compress to the affected area I found is pretty helpful but you kind of have to be very careful because water where water creates bacteria so just kind of play that on the safe side and make sure that once you're done applying the cool compress that any water that has gotten on your rash gets you know sopped up somehow so that there's not any room for any more bacteria for the infection or rash to happen. Um, another thing is using like anti-itch lotion on the affected area, uh, soaking in an oatmeal bath or an Epsom salt bath. That's something that my grandmother always says Epsom salt is king. Um, and then also making a baking soda paste with baking soda and water and applying it to the affected area could possibly help as well. You can also prevent the rash from getting worse by just not scratching too much or too hard I know scratching can just be so tempting when something itches and it's like your mind is just like oh something itches let me scratch it but a lot of scratching can actually cause an infection um, but if the itching is just too much and it's looking like it's just getting worse your doctor or healthcare provider may be able to suggest some sort of like a like prescription strength lotion or a prescription strength cream to really help with lessening the intensity of your symptoms or just lessening your symptoms as a whole. When it comes to reducing your risk of getting swimmer's itch, there are like a few things you can do to reduce your risk of getting it. So one thing is rinsing off with clean water after swimming. So rinsing your body with clean water right after you're done swimming and just making sure you dry your skin well with a clean towel will really be able to have that preventative measure. Um, another tip is to choose where you swim carefully. So just don't be jumping in a random lake 
or jumping in a random pond because you want to live your best YA summer life, like, please don't do that. Don't do that. Your skin will thank you later. Look for signs near, you know, the swimming site that could warn you of possible swimmer's itch contamination. And just try not to swim in places where swimmer's itch is known or is a common problem. Another tip is to not feed birds or animals near where you are swimming. Because birds and other mammals that live near freshwater or even saltwater can carry that parasite that causes swimmer's itch. So you don't want to make them come closer to areas where people are swimming because they could potentially spread the parasites. And we don't want that. We don't want people to get parasites. So please don't feed the birds. Don't feed the animals where you are swimming. Do not swim or wade in or near marshy areas. So snails are more likely to be found in those areas that are considered marshy and they can be infected with the parasite that causes swimmer's itch. So make sure you're not near those types of areas. And if possible, try not to swim or wade in water that's shallow or by a shoreline, the parasites that cause swimmer's itch are actually more likely to be found in shallow water or by the shoreline. So if you are a strong swimmer, consider swimming in water that's a little bit more deeper to really try to avoid those parasites. And the last tip is to apply waterproof sunscreen because apparently this has been reported to protect the skin from the parasite that actually causes a swimmer's itch. So fun fact for you guys. And then also in general, it's just always a good key, especially during the summertime to have sunscreen on because I feel like that's just a thing that people forget to put on and then they deal with the repercussions of not having it on your body later and you're like ah like I'm burnt or my skin feels raw or all these other potential health conditions that could happen from you not wearing sunscreen so wearing sunscreen has multiple benefits especially for the sake of swimmer's itch. Now like I always say in episodes like these if you're not sure why or what could be the possible reason as to why you might be dealing with some sort of rash that's like really itchy and it just makes you want to scratch all of your skin off and burn your skin best case just go to your doctor go to your healthcare provider and set up an appointment to really get an understanding of what's going on and really just be prepared to answer the following questions like when those symptoms first started you know have you been swimming outdoors recently or waiting outdoors recently you know did anyone else who went swimming with you develops this rash as well and you know what types of you know medications you're currently taking just kind of make sure like I said in last week's episode to kind of have a game plan of what you're going to be discussing with the doctor just to make sure you get the most out of the appointment and that you're able to get all of your concerns out on the table but hopefully you all enjoyed today's episode found it to be interesting found it to be beneficial, found it to be helpful. If you did, make sure to give us a big subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. I was about to say, give us a big uh, smash on the like button, but this is not a video. So just put the big smash on the subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Hopefully that rating is five stars and hopefully that review is a positive because it really helps with being able to 
get this show to more people, new ears, new eyes, things like that. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at oh my allergies. My Instagram is at oh my Valencia. Uh, keep on sharing the podcast with people you know and don't know. And I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys.